Dreamcatcher Studios, providing quality service in music education, studio recording, photography, and live entertainment. For more information, contact us at 209-421-2966. Dreamcatcher Studios. We don't just chase our dreams. We catch them. You're looking for the most amazing podcast ever. Well, this isn't it. You're listening to the Average Fellas Podcast, guaranteed to let you down and leave you unsatisfied. another episode of the Average Fellas Podcast. I'm your host, Zodi Zach, coming to you live all the way from Riverside, California. Whew. Man, the seasons are changing. I love fall weather. I love pumpkin spice. I'm a sucker for pumpkin spice. I really am. I love it. When as soon as Starbucks hits, drops that pumpkin spice, I'm like, ooh, I need to get some of it. And I had some, I actually used the, the pumpkin spice cloud foam and some good stuff that they got going on there. I'm not trying to make this about Starbucks, but I'm just ready for fall weather, okay? Uh, today's episode uh, is episode 016. That's right, 16 episodes of the Monday episode, of the Monday uh, episodes. We're on uh, episode 16, so excited about that. I have an awesome guest today, uh, a good friend of mine, someone who I grew up with uh, playing alongside in the music scene. Um, not Maybe not directly, but indirectly, we, we played in the same town, and we had bands that were a part of like the same local music scene, and it was really cool growing up with this guy, seeing what he's doing with his talent today. Um, without any further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest, uh, Pat Gomes from Dreamcatcher Studios. What's going on, my guy? Hey, man. How's it going? Oh, man. You know, it's going. It's going here at the Average Fells headquarters. You know, it's it's going. The ball's rolling here, man. I'm, I I'm, feel that. Thanks, Monday man. morning. I'm loving it. Yeah, exactly. Monday morning, we're getting the ball rolling. We're talking business here on the Average Fells podcast. Hey, business. Business. Nothing but value. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, enough about me, man. What's new? What's going on with Pat Gomes? Well, I, you know what, when people ask me this all the time, it's like, oh, nothing. But I guess I got to be a little bit more specific here. So, um, you know, just doing studio recordings as often as possible, live sound as often as possible. I still do lessons and still play music as much as I can. Oh, man, that's great to hear. That's so good to hear, especially like mus musician type, you know, like people using that skill to like enlighten, not enrich somebody else's life. Like I volunteer at my church, you know, and that to me is like a, it's a great opportunity. It's like something I love to do, something I can volunteer to do. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you obviously are taking that a little more serious sort of a business aspect that you have going on now with teaching lessons and stuff, which I want to get into today, which is super interesting. I really love what you're doing. Um, and you are a part of the Dreamcatcher Studio, uh, a team, right? Is that right? Correct. That is correct. Um, what, I believe you've already had Vanessa on here, and she's the uh, the founder, the creator, the the brains behind the entire operation. She's the one who keeps everybody moving, and it's pretty much she's got this well-oiled machine that just you know it's a clock. It just yeah. keeps moving and moving. And everybody has a everybody has a certain skill they're bringing to this academy. Well, once was the Los Banos Academy. I remember you. I think you were participating in that the music lessons. Is that right? That in the Los Correct. Banos Academy, music. I think I can't remember what it was called, but yeah, it was a LB Academy of Music, and that's actually what 
started Dreamcatcher Studios. It was originally only planned to be a, uh, you know, the Academy of Music, where we would have lessons for all sorts of instruments, singing, and then we expanded to dancing, art, acting. Yeah. And now, now we're finally able to do more live events, which, you know, during COVID, it seems kind of like, wait, did I hear that correctly? You're able to do live events now? But, you know, with the kind of innovation of drive-through and right. you yeah. know, similar events, it's, it's really opened up a lot of doors for us. That's And that's amazing. That's awesome. I love hearing that story, how you guys sort of pivoted from like, hey, this is how we were doing business, but you kind of find a success during this. You know, obviously COVID's not something that we obviously don't want. Nobody's happy about having it around. Mm-hmm. Um, but you as a business have had to, you know, sort of like, you know, like I said, pivot and adapt to sort of figure out a way to make it in today's market amongst COVID. You know, it's like it's mm-hmm. it's literally like um, like The Walking Dead almost. Right. It's like here's the life that we're all living amongst the zombies. Right. If I'm not I'm, if you have COVID or <laughs> suffering from COVID, I'm not making that correlation there. But I'm just saying like it's it seems like there's another story happening while our lives are continuing. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, hey, um, I'll, I want to get into the Dreamcatcher stuff a, l- a little more, but I also want to talk to Pat Gomes. So uh, my friend uh, who also, you know, like I said, played alongside me in like that that early music scene, that high school music, uh, you know, just uh, the just the, the the garage shows, man, all the good stuff. Um I had I had Nick Stockdale on last week. I had him on mm-hmm. last Thursday, and he's you know obviously been a big influence on our music. Um, both of us, uh, one of my earliest um, things I did with music, pro- music projects featured I, Nick and I worked together on it, and then you mm-hmm. went on to work with him um, with recording and even doing um, some of his. Ba- uh, um, I think I want to say for Drive and Damn Good Dog helped produce those projects, right? Correct. That is correct. So yeah. Um, Oh, no, no, no. oh, go ahead. Sorry. So uh, I just want, you know, that's just kind of talking about your experience as far as like what I know, as far as like you as Pat, my friend, person I've been around. I know you've done these things. Um, but I want to know, like, what's your earliest memory like for love of music? Oh, that's, you know, it's funny because I, I can actually pinpoint this to a T. I was, you know, between like six and seven years old, didn't know anything about music, didn't know how to play any instruments. All I know is that the System of a Down song, Chop Suey, was like popular as could be right then. And I would watch the music video for it every day on MTV.com. Like I would go on the computer at that young age and watch that music video because I thought they were just rocking it. Oh my gosh, man. That's so funny that you bring that up. Like you would go online to MTV.com, not YouTube. MTV.com. Get that that right. is correct. Web address was dropped, right? <laughs> I know. I know. I, I can even remember the first YouTube experience I had. It was also watching band videos. But MTV.com, that was where that got started for me. Oh, my gosh, man. That's a good – That's a good, you're aging yourself, man. And I think you're young, bro. <laughs> I mean, you know, 28 years old, it, it came up pretty quick. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I know, right? Tell me about it. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. So what are what are some of your earliest uh, art like what what are, what are some of the earliest artists that young Pat Gomes would consider his biggest influences for pursuing music? I know you mentioned System of a Down. Correct, and you know another one that was around the same era, 
Alien Ant Farm had that Michael Jackson cover, oh, Smooth right. Criminal. Yeah. And that another song that, you know, I was really able to hear the drums and the bass even kind of at a young age. Um, you know, being a drummer now, it makes sense. But I always thought, man, this drummer is killing it. Wow, mm. this bass player is killing it. You know, those guys in that song, they're kind of like the unsung heroes in the background. They're doing great. But aside from that, my dad kind of... Um, you know, whether he knew it or not, pumped classic 70s rock into my veins. And, you know, even today, if I were to put on my Spotify playlist, I'd say like 75% of it is going to be just like old 70s rock that, you know, you would expect a dad to listen to. Yeah, the good stuff. The good, and that's how I feel about it. The, good the classics, stuff. the good stuff. <laughs> the stuff you know, that's and, in that vinyl bin, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. And now I listen to that kind of stuff. Back then, you know, I, don't didn't listen to lyrics or you know didn't really have much understanding of what was happening in the song at least in that context but right it's it's nice to go back and listen to these songs and actually analyze them a little bit with some sort of a brain and it it's kind of cool to just see like wow they were already innovative back then yeah, to like, think that we are the innovators now it's it's just continuously changed it's you're 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 spot on because I I do this you know I'm I'm a, I'm a big Star Wars nerd I love Star Wars As a matter of fact Thursday nights are dedicated to Star Wars here at the Average Fells podcast so oh I love it <laughs> so we uh, one of the things I've been like looking at is looking at George Lucas's vision in the original the original trilogy and mm-hmm. seeing how we as a society have sort of evolved around the concept of Star Wars and how we've continued to like innovate towards that direction. Like there was a part where um, they, the guy would use his watch to like lock doors and open things. And I'm thinking that's an Apple watch today. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Apple watch does that today. <laughs> and there's like, you know, the, the fact that the, that the robots are called droids and now we have a phone that is on the droid platform, right? That right. OS system in itself kind of represents that what the future of technology is going to be. And um, it's true when you talk about music in the same sense, certain artists captured it, especially in the seventies, the concepts that that we're playing with and the music and just the ideas that they were, you know, really, I think, diving into in that music genre, 70s classic rock, that area was mm-hmm. very innovative, very, I guess, like future like thought. I don't know if that makes any sense. Uh, it does. It does. It really does. And back then, I feel like it was just, you know, the innovation was just different, but it was there. Yeah. You know, the way the way that they were thinking of things is more of uh, these concepts of writing, in my opinion, you know, the, the things that were acceptable to sing about at this point, which in the past may not have been, you know, or even just the ideas that some of these, you know, guys represented. I think it was, um, oh, geez, I, I may be wrong, but I was on Facebook the other day and I saw someone post, um, a repost of back when I think it was Rob D. Snyder. I forgot uh, his band might have been Twisted Sister, but basically stood in front of a court and said, hey, this metal music, you know, and defended it in yeah. front of you know, the government, basically, when they were yeah. trying to ban it. And that's kind of crazy to think about now, because if you hear anything on the radio, I mean, the amount of bleeps and rearranges that they have to use on the lyrics are just through the roof. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you can't tell an original track anymore on the radio. Like, that's not even how that song goes. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think that's I don't think that's how they said that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. Well, that's the good thing about podcasts. There's no FCC regulations on this. So you could say whatever you want. 
Uh, that doesn't help me much. I don't like to, I don't like to rattle cages. That's not me. Well, I mean, that's here at the average fails podcast. We're we're not, I'm not trying to rattle cages, but you know, we're just, you know, I don't know. We're just trying to highlight people, average people's opinions, I guess. So there's obviously like, I'm not some famous dude. You're not some famous dude, but I think you, I think you're doing something that is extraordinary as far as like what you're doing with dream catchers and teaching kids and, you know, providing services to people that, you know, may be needing it, you know, especially trying to get your name out there with music and publicity and whatever, you know, production stuff. Um, that's super exciting to me, man, to see that something from Los Banos, you know, that you guys have started to cultivate that there is really big. That's really big for these kids. You know what I'm saying? That's not just a simple thing. Cause I wish that you guys were there when I was a kid, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you wish that, that you were there when you were a kid? You know what I'm saying? And you know what? That uh, Vanessa, the, the founder, she says the exact same thing. Her reason behind starting the School of Music was because affordable music lessons just weren't around when she was a kid. When I was a kid, you were a kid, yeah. at least in this in this area. Yeah. And, you know, she wanted to provide for those that wanted to pursue music and didn't want to travel, you know, an hour, you know, or so away just for a half hour singing lesson or guitar yeah. lesson. Yep. So yeah. uh, in, in that sense, I was really, really excited to be a part of the team when it was starting and it was just her. She was one person doing singing lessons. She had asked me if I was interested in, you know, teaching drums and it started with drums, my primary instrument. And then it evolved because I play guitar, bass and piano as well. I got more comfortable teaching those subjects. You know, I could always play them, but, you know, explaining the understanding to a young mind is always a different process from playing. Yeah, no, exactly. Because you have to bridge a gap. You have to, you have to connect the concept and, and to get them to actually actualize it and realize what you're teaching them for them to understand it. And to see that demonstrated before you as a teacher is the most incredible thing you could ever do. Mm-hmm. And music is real time. You know, I'm saying if a kid gets it, he gets it. And if he doesn't, you know, he didn't practice. <laughs> yep. That, oh, man, that is 100 percent correct. I've gotten really good at spotting the ones who practice and the ones who don't. So I'll just gently nudge them in the right direction. Hey, I noticed that was a little tougher for you this week. Maybe we should put in a little bit more time. Yeah. But that- you know what? The The biggest competition right now is like Fortnite and Warzone and all of these games, they yes. always tell me that they spent hours on Fortnite. You know what? They don't know what they don't know what it's like for Guitar Hero to drop. You know what I'm saying? Oh man. They don't like know what Guitar it's Hero like. to drop like in high school or junior yes. high. Oh my it's gosh. Just shaking the world at this point. I'm talking there was party fights over this game in high school you know what i'm saying oh, you yeah. showed up to the high school party like this was i mean i'm not trying to make i was recently on a party podcast so i'm just you know still hyped on that that episode that i did <laughs> <laughs> anyways but yeah i mean like i think there was it was just the right time maybe for us in our community like guitar hero was a big thing i mean i remember guitar hero competitions going down you know oh um, yeah so i think maybe just the motivation is maybe i don't know i mean obviously well, everything changes in time you know you know, and that, that kind of brings me back. I was uh, really into Post Malone for quite a while, especially when that first uh, Stoney album came out. But I watched some interviews, and you know, most people know now he got his start playing guitar because he was good at Guitar Hero. And one day he just said, you know what? I'm going to give this a try. 
started playing guitar and you know look at who he is now yeah that exactly. literally started because of guitar hero that's yeah. that's an insane thought i mean it's but it's but this is incredible too if you think of post malone's skill level with a guitar he's not he's he would never say that he was the greatest guitar player of all time he would never say he was a great guitar player you know correct i mean obviously he does hip-hop he does an r&b style but he incorporates this sort of uh um just uh, i guess country slash uh i want to say not bluegrass but what's the other one i'm looking for folk uh, a little folky yeah yeah sort of brings those sorts of genres and connects it with this hip-hop and i love it man i love when that takes place like you can kind of see it. it's just it's done in there just woven in there enough to get the concept mm-hmm. and he as a as a creator of music like that's cool to see that happen like this guy he's not good at guitar but look what he did he was able to execute that vision he wants this style to be implemented and he does it and it's tasteful and i listen to it you know so exactly and you could kind of tell in the earlier stuff the guitar had a lot to do with uh or it had a big part in his writing process at least you know whether or not it ended up being in the final cut of the song you know maybe maybe not in some of them it definitely was some of them it wasn't but you could just tell that it was kind of an integral part in just building his song from the ground up whatever that song may be at the time yeah i i don't know if his process has changed much now but i could i could see a shift in not just the quality, because the quality is definitely better, but the style is a little different. I think that's uh, kind of why that first album really hit me hard, is because it yeah. just it was so different at the time. And each song, while it had its own uh, characteristic that kind of binded it to the rest of the songs, it was still different every time you switched to a different track. Right. Which, so to me, those sorts of those sorts of things. I think that shows more of the self-expression of the artist because I think at an earlier state in your, I guess, in your career, there's less production happening on other people's sides. You know, it's more mm-hmm. you that has to do it. Right. right. Um, so I guess this is just like, produ- I get this is like producer talk, I guess, creative talk. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, you know, and I can't even say whether or not he did have, you know, a producer or several producers yeah, on exactly. the first album. But to me, it sounds like when it came to the songwriting and, you know most of those aspects it feels like he was doing more of it on his own and again i might be wrong you know he may have had a team of producers on that but you could just tell going from that album to the second one there's a huge shift in production quality and even just the little additions the little details that most people don't listen for it was the polishness uh, on certain pieces you know that too you know his uh his quality was what much more consistent on the second album and every song he puts out now, it's almost like he's got his own template for what works well for his voice. Yeah. But the first one, you could tell, you know, three or four songs were probably at one studio. Then he went to a different one for the other couple. And he just kind of put everything together in this project. And it, it worked, in my opinion. It worked really yeah. well. No, no, no. I agree. I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, so speaking about, you know, talking about passion, we're talking about music, we're talking about genre, we're talking about the intricacies of it, all this kind of stuff jumbled up into one, like, I guess, episode, which isn't doing it justice, which we probably have to do a follow up <laughs> episode too. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm up for it and I'm ready, just so you know. Uh, I mean, yeah, definitely. I would love to talk genres and like pr- producer stuff and like just, you know, niche things in music. 
Maybe we can get another person in here too. That'd be great. That'd be a sick episode. All right, I'm on to something. That would be. I know, I like that. We should write that down now. Put that down. Well, I'm leaving this in the episode, so I'm hearing this. (laughs) There we go. Um, So speaking about like all this, you know, your passion, which is music, when did that, what actions led uh, from taking your passion for music and uh, using it for like a business or even, you know, employment to make money from when, did, where did that decision come from or what actions did you take um, when you realized that you should do this? You know, I, it's funny cause I think there's probably two different points for me. Um, you know, one being the musician side of things where I started teaching and the other being the uh, studio engineer where I started doing recordings. So I think the first one would have been recording. You know, as soon as I was reaching the end of high school and starting college, I knew that I wanted to record. I knew that that was what made me happy and that making things sound good made me feel good, you know? So I think right around, you know, when I was 19 or so, I started bringing people into my home and I would just record off of a little single channel interface into my laptop that, you know, was probably not equipped enough to run the, the software I was running. Oh, and, uh, and then I bought a version of Pro Tools. I balled out and just said, you know what, I'm going to buy this. And, you know, back then you could actually purchase it and not have to do its monthly subscription plan. Wow. Now I don't even think that's an option. So I feel like I'm grandfathered in with my, my yeah. vision. <laughs> Lucky, man. That's good stuff, bro. That's awesome. But when it came to, you know, teaching and things, I had never considered that until Vanessa asked me, you know, and she didn't have to do much convincing, but she convinced me that I would be good at it. At least, you know, having someone else's faith in you really does a number on your self-esteem. So she, she really helped me to grow into a teacher, a music instructor. And that's been a really rewarding experience. I, I really like doing it, you know, and it wasn't anything that I had ever planned on doing or ever thought that I would enjoy. Right. And so, but okay. Can you talk about maybe like your, um, your studio experience? Um, talk about that. Cause you talk, I know you had, you, you said you purchased the full version and you balled out, purchased a full version <laughs> of, of pro tools. Right. Um, but what led to like the mastery of that program using that software? Because really that's where you're, that's an art. It's a skill in itself, understanding a software and like being able to manipulate it to achieve, you know, your vision, what you're hearing and stuff. Well, you know, starting out, it was really easy to just, if I didn't know how to do something, I could try to word it in the Google search engine correctly enough. That would lead me, you know, down a rabbit hole of forums and people calling each other names and things like this. But then I'd end up learning that lesson pretty quickly from someone else's mistakes. And I was able to get a pretty good grip on, you know, like you said, manipulating the software and using key commands as opposed to constantly clicking the mouse and searching through menus. And I got really comfortable with that within the first, you know, two or three years of using it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had other softwares at the time like FL Studio and Reaper and things like that that I was still getting accustomed to. But when it came to recording, Pro Tools seemed to do everything that I wanted in the way that I wanted it to with a user interface that I felt made sense. And I know yeah. a lot of people don't feel that way. Um, but And then I was probably about 23 years old. I ended up taking the uh, Pro Tools certification courses. Uh, The first one is a self-guided course, so I was able to get the book, 
read through it, take my notes, take the test, certification complete. The second one required an actual course where you were, you know, essentially babysat the whole time, but they taught you the ins and outs and workflow, really. So it wasn't to where someone would come in and you'd start looking around for, okay, well, how can I do this? What, what process do I need to do to get to what I want? It was more of, at that point, I was able to just say, okay, you want this? Perfect, perfect, perfect. Got it. Yeah. We're ready. Um, that helped a lot, but it was also a bit of an eye-opener because when I got there and started learning, I started to realize this is a lot of the stuff that I already use in my day-to-day recording process. Yeah. You know? And so it was, it was nice that it was like a bit of a verification that I was doing things, you know, quote unquote correctly. Yeah. But it was, it was also nice to learn just like the gaps that needed to be filled, you know, the little bit of knowledge that I needed to actually put it into use uh, and make myself better than I was. To polish, to polish that. Cause I, mm-hmm. there's a rudimentary like understanding of the, of, of what, like, you know, I know how to use audacity enough to produce a podcast. Right. But if you told me to produce mm-hmm. a record on here, I could not do that. You know, and there's somebody out there on YouTube who can produce a whole record on audacity. You know what I'm saying? Oh, exactly. And, um, and you know, going, going into that, like, um, again, being like a pretty avid pro tools user, no pun intended, avid pro tools, but <laughs> another buddy of mine does the exact same thing that I do in garage band. And now I've, taken a challenge from him, which was, okay, well, I have this band recorded. I have all of the stems. Let's load them onto Pat's Mac and see if he can mix them in GarageBand. You know, something that I may have already done in Pro Tools previously, I had, you know, received the stems. Now I have to try to recreate that in GarageBand. Wow. I'll tell you this. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do with a computer. And he, this other guy's name's Alex, He's able to do that in, I mean, if you were comparing seconds to milliseconds, I'm taking 20 seconds. He's taking like, you know, a millisecond to get the same process done. So it really just comes down to comfortability with your software. Yeah. If you stick with something long enough and, you know, I don't, I don't care what it is. It could be literally anything. You will keep getting better at it every single time you do it. So Pro Tools versus Audacity versus GarageBand, Logic, all of those other main softwares, it's going to come down to what you're comfortable with and what you want to work on for the rest of your time recording. Which I think for me, you know, like for me, like when it comes to recording a podcast, I think, you know, Audacity is doing it fine. It's a free mm-hmm. software. I think once, you know, there's if if I if there seems to be some sort of value that starts to generate to this podcast where it gets, you know, a substantial amount of listeners. And that's my hope, because I want to really put you guys out there. You know, I want to promote the average fella. Right. So I want listeners. I want listeners just to to hear the average fellas, to hear their experience and how they're doing extraordinary things like giving lessons, learning a software, mastering that skill, using it to provide, you know, you know, do something that you love. Like, and that's what I wanted to talk about. Dig a little deeper into that. What is it about the studio life that you love the most? Like what studio experiences are the ones that make the studio like the studio? Well, you know, I work with a lot of hip hop and I don't think that's just, um, you know, I think it's more of just the time that we live in. Hip hop is just much more prevalent than it used to be. And it, you know, keeps getting more and more. Uh, But 
I think some of the funnest experiences I've had have been working with bands, like you mentioned, Fur Drive and Damn Good Dog. Working with Nick is such a fun experience. I think most of that's because we're just good friends. Yeah. But we also have the rapport that allows us to try things that maybe we weren't expecting or maybe aren't traditional recording methods. Yeah. And, you know, it gave us a real chance to kind of explore the sound and not worry about, you know, this needs to be perfect. More of it needs to be what we like. Yeah. You know? And so that was, that was really fun. If I was to kind of pinpoint it to like types of experiences, it's usually working with bands. And in particular, that band was a really fun one to work with. Yeah. No, I mean, I had fun just being around both those projects and taking pictures. I actually did some videos for the uh, for the Fur Drive stuff that I actually I, I watch till this day. I'm like, man, that holds up really well. Like the whole entire uh, video that I did of them and their performance. And I was like, oh, this is so fun. Um, and that was at VCC, right? Here yeah, in Los Banos? that was yeah. at VCC in Los Banos that I used to that I used to work at. I used to work at that church. And um, it was just a, it was a good man. That was just a good night. I, it's I funny. Was, I remember that show. And that was that was a very cool show. And I think at, like you had mentioned, their performance for that one was just, I mean, great. It was fun. It was so, so good to see your friends like execute on a, on a level that was like, yes, you did it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you know, it was almost like, I don't want to say an unexpected group of friends. Cause you know, junior Daniel and Nick, yeah. that makes sense. You know, yeah. that was the, uh, the original band when it was just for a drive, you know? Yeah. And then they had got Kyle Chapman on guitar, which wasn't really like out of the pocket too much, but you know, Kyle's definitely a classic trained guitarist. Yeah. You know, his skill level is, you know, through the roof. He's a gigging guy. He's the guy you want to pay for. (laughs) Exactly. And Nick, Daniel, me, you know, most, most of us that we are around have just learned by playing. We've just figured it out and went into it head first, you know? So like to see the difference between just that group right there was pretty cool. And then you throw Vanessa on top of it. It was, you know, that was just a really cool recipe for an awesome band. Yeah. And I, I wonder, is that still, is that, is Fur Drive still up on Spotify? I wonder. Oh, I think so. Actually, you know what, while we're, while we're talking, I will check because I'm pretty sure I've listened to them in the last couple months. Nice. <laughs> Shout out to another, <laughs> another project by my friends. <laughs> oh yeah. They're still up there. That's still up there, man. Check that out. That's another, uh, Vanessa was on that project. Uh, Nick Stockton was on that project. Uh, Pat helped produce that project, and uh, yeah, a couple other of our friends that will be on the podcast were, were part of that project. So I was just really proud of the local people putting that, the local guys putting that together. It's good stuff. There we go. The In wins. fact, I actually uh, recorded that project as well. That was the first band that I had ever recorded on my own with my own equipment, which was bare minimum at the time. Wow. Uh, I mean, if there was a, a level below bare minimum, it may have been there too maybe in the subfloor you, you were in the garage level you're at the garage the basement level yeah that's exactly what I, that's what level. this podcast this podcast is at the basement level right now i was actually had opportunity to talk with somebody another podcaster and we had made the analogy that right now we're digging our way out of the basement to get to the ground floor of podcasting you know what i'm yep. saying so it's kind of like where it's at right now and um i'm just glad that there's so many people that want to participate and uh you know like, like especially just you know i think they believe in like the the 
the idea what I'm trying to do here. And that's why it's such a good, it's such a good time for me to have people like you on Vanessa, Nick on, I'll have other people that have like small businesses, small business ideas. I've had nonprofits already on the show and freelancers. So keeping up with that theme, like I think, you know, it's just goes it goes back to that, uh, this community effort, you know, and I think like you didn't doing that, producing those two records. Um, it just goes back to that whole entire thing, looking out for the average fellow, man. <laughs> exactly. And you know what, working with friends as much as I think people probably say that's not a good idea. It was extremely fun. It made the experience much more uh, laid back. We could, we could just say it was laid back. We got work done, but we weren't stressed on, you know, the little things, you know, like we have to get this done in this amount of time. We have to have these processors on this instrument because that's how it's done or things like that. We've more so found our way around those. And I think more, more in the damn good dog album than the fur drive, we kind of knew a little bit more of the loopholes that we could get through in recording at that time. Man, that's awesome to hear that, you know, um, just to see that progression, you know, I mean, I can, I can imagine, like, I'm not sure if you, I'm not sure what projects you've recently produced, but uh, maybe we can get some links to that later on so we can put them on the show if you want to. Um, talking about um, performance, uh, we talked about our friends' bands who you help produce their, their records for. Um, I want to talk about live performance. I know recently Dreamcatcher just promoted and hosted an event that was on the 10th. Am I correct? <laughs> Yeah, just a couple of days ago. Just a couple of days ago. That's right. Uh, can you highlight some of the uh, some of the behind the scenes work that you maybe did, and you know, like a part of Dreamcatcher Studio, um, what you guys did at that event? Um, highlight some of the work that took place. Oh man, I mean, I can only speak to what dealt with the stage direction, and then going into the audio, and going into the um, lighting slightly. You know, right. basically anything that dealt with the band and the performance that we had. Um, Vanessa, again, you know, I'll keep saying it. She's a mastermind. She's running the entire show. You know, she's everywhere. Yeah. Directing whole it. time. She, and not just directing, she's got, you know, teams of people doing different things as well as, you know, she's emceeing the show and keeping it running smoothly just from the front, you know, being front the front of woman it, yeah. of the entire performance. It's, yeah. it's crazy to see in person, I think the audience probably has a different perception of what, you know, us who are working see. Yeah. You know, what they may see is, wow, that was a great show. Things went smoothly. That's awesome. But, you know, us, we're running around and making sure that everything is a great show. Yeah. So we had set up the day before. um, We brought a stage out there. Everything was built just prior to our arrival with the sound equipment and the band. And once that was done, we were able to start putting in all of our speaker cabs, all of our monitors and everything. We put a nice floor on the stage and sound checks started. And, you know, with every live performance, there's always a bug. There's always a snag. There's something, you know. So we tried our best to work those out during sound check and we ended up getting pretty close enough to where I could kind of uh, finagle it once the band started playing and I could actually get them to a sound the way I wanted them yeah. to sound. A exactly. Mix, yeah. You know, during sound check, a lot of what's happening is for the band, not as much for, well, I guess it depends how much time you have. If you're rushed, a lot of what you end up having to do is just for the band. Yeah. Each one has their own monitor that they want to hear a specific mixture of instruments and vocals in. 
And you know, each person, a seven-member band with seven monitors, needs to kind of let me know to their best ability what do they want to hear. Yeah. You know? And so working on that, it probably takes, you know, 20 minutes or so with each person because there's always a change after it's been set, you know. But we got through that pretty pretty smoothly. We moved into the rest of the day, which involved music, dancing, lots of uh, character performers, and uh, the, act the actual dancers that were able to go on the dance floor and dance in the middle of the entire audience. They did amazing. It was such a cool thing to see. And at the end of the night, once the band came on within the first you know, song, we had everything smoothed out sounding the way that I wanted it to sound. Yeah. You know, again, from the audience point of view, they probably just thought, oh, these guys are good. And that was it. You know, from my That's point of view, I'm, I'm hearing this tiny little thing. I don't know. Maybe the vocals weren't as, you know, bright in the high end that I wanted. Or maybe the saxophone was too bright, you know. And you just change those things to try to get the frequency spectrum as level as possible. Man, that's cool. And so, and as a good, as a good life sound tech, right? Life sound tech, um, um, like I guess that was like sound guy, sound dude. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, I always say I'm the sound guy, but I guess if we were being technical, I guess it would be the sound tech or sound yeah. engineer. Life sound engineer, life sound tech, right? Basically, yeah. In that 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 area, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so I mean, you're pretty much the unsung hero of the gig because you want to not be noticed, right? Your, your job is to to mix everything so perfect, so well that everybody enjoys the show and doesn't care about you. You know, that's exactly, kind of <laughs> you know, how many performances I've been to where I said, man, this sound guy is not doing this. Yeah, you know, exactly. or, or you can actually notice the point in time where he got it down. You know, it's always the first song or two. It there's, there's no one really to blame for that sound check and performing are two different things. Nine times out of ten, the band goes up there and turns up their amp anyways you yeah. know, after sound check, Or they haven't been singing at their full volume during sound check because they're trying to preserve their voice. Right. Or not hitting the drums as loud because, you know, having them hit the snare drum 50 times in a row, they kind of get tired of it pretty quickly. So, you know, it, it is a little bit different, but every sound guy's got that first five, ten minutes where they're just, you know, frantically trying to figure out what has changed. And, you know, I'm no exception to that. I, it happens all the time, you know, yeah. but after that first five minutes, it's always smooth sailing unless some catastrophic failure occurs, which, you know, knock on wood, doesn't happen if you've done your your R&R, &R, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's that's good stuff, man. I really appreciate your take on that because it's true. Like all the things like, you know, obviously working with the church, doing live sound and stuff like getting the monitors right. Like every every time we perform on Sunday, my wife and I will help volunteer and play and stuff. We got to check our monitors and stuff and like, what things do I need in my ear and stuff? And then you talk about turning up after you already sound checked. I, you know, that's some, like only the sound guys are going to know this. Only the sound guys are going to get these, these little things like, okay, well you weren't like, you talked about those experiences saying singers not singing at their full volume. That's all experience. Mm -hmm. That's all hours clocked working with people. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Talking about the drummer getting weak in the hand, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. You know, and it, it's funny to actually pinpoint what it is that's happening without anyone actually saying it. You yeah, know? exactly. Like you don't, the singer doesn't have to tell you, I'm, I'm not trying to be loud right now. I don't want to blow my voice out. You know, 
you almost just have to kind of know that that's what's going to happen. It's not, you know, everybody's different. There's a ton of psychology in it that you got to figure out relatively quickly. Yeah. But it it's fun. It is really fun. I love being in the studio and that's, you know, probably the favorite part about my day. But when I get to go out and do live sound, the the experience almost feels more rewarding. You know, it's instant gratification. You have to do everything that you're doing in the studio, but on the spot. Yeah. With an audience. With an audience. Um, speaking about with an audience, can you talk about, um, can you highlight what uh, Dreamcatcher, the services that Dreamcatcher provided in order to pull off this entire gig? What needed to be orchestrated? I'm sure Vanessa probably be the better person to ask a question to, but, right. but I know you were there. I mean, obviously this is after the event and I'm thinking about this question, but like what... What did you guys actually do as a studio? What did you guys need to put together? What did you guys have to do as services to put this whole entire thing together? Well, as far as in-house services, we were able to provide all of the staging, all of the sound, all of the lighting, and in the end, the DJ as well, um, and the MC. So most of those things are, are expected you know, from yeah. a production company, a, even a smaller production company like us. So those are usually the big cost you know they're they're uh, the big cost items the big ticket right. items the equipment and you stuff know, you you guys are providing for this live event and for that i'm able to usually take most of that work on just because being the sound guy knowing the equipment and knowing what may be necessary to help achieve vanessa's ultimate goal right you know? and all of the other aspects go to her because there's definitely um partnerships, sponsorships, reaching out to the character actors in this uh, particular event, and whatever other entertainment may be needed. You know? Right. I, there was a lot of dancing during our last performance, which was El Noche Caliente, in the same location in Hollister at Bellotto Park. But the, uh, the quality of performers yeah. you know, is... Vanessa knows exactly what she wants, and she works her hardest to make sure that that's what the audience is going to see. Yeah. So she, you know, vets the dancers, vets the performers, vets the band and makes sure that they're going to provide the experience that we think the audience deserves. Right. So when it came to outsourcing, those would be the main outsourced uh, pieces, the location, the performers. Right. And as I mean, obviously, as like a production company, uh, as a as a studio, like you want your goal is to hopefully capture and harness the talent and you know and and you know i guess like you know pump it out i guess i don't know how you say expose it more you know right. as a production you know studio you you want to expose the talent more and i think you know obviously we said like your setup as a business is we provide these services we outsource our talent you know they come in and Vanessa vets the talent, the skill level she's worked in at a professional level. She's worked as a hired gun, pretty much working for mm -hmm. businesses, being paid to use her talent. You know, so she understands a level of of professionalism that needs to come along with these performers. Right. So it's not just the Very garage correct. band showing up, you know. Exactly. But you know what? If it was a garage band showing up, we would make it work. Hey, I have no doubt about it. <laughs> the average fellow. You know, I love working with garage bands, you know, because. Growing up, that's what we were doing. You yeah. Know? So those are the people that I feel extremely comfortable talking to, you know, and having a pretty good knowledge of music equipment is usually a nice icebreaker. Uh, I mean, for this particular event, the drummer showed up and I see he has an Axis longboard pedal. And for the drummers out there, you already know, but for, 
you know, people who aren't drummers. Back in like 2006, 2007, this was like the ultimate kick drum pedal that you could buy. Everyone was using it. It was the coolest thing since sliced bread. No, man. And, and then, you know, popularity just kind of went downhill after that. Anyway, the Iron Cobra took over. Right. So I had mentioned to him, oh, that's cool. You have the Axis pedal. Yeah, I uh, I got it when I was pretty younger, but I don't know. And I said, you don't play metal anymore, right? He said, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's like the exact same. It's the same experience I had. It was just so funny. Oh man, that's funny. Well, that's like me. Like I play. I like now. It's like I'm playing the soft like U2 church music now, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, done, I've been doing that for like the past seven years now, really. But earlier, you know, all my guitars all had EMGs in it. We're ready to yep. scream and shred. I wanted the Ibanez, you know, just thin neck to do some cool squeals or something. Oh now, man, I miss Velcro by design. Oh, I'm just gonna <laughs> say it. <laughs> I, I gotta say it. That band was such a cool thing to see in Los Banos. Oh man, we were something else, man. We had a style of our own, but it was there, man. It was fun. It was such a good product. Nick put it the best. He said we were having too much fun with the music. We didn't know what we were doing, and that was the honest truth. It was just you, writing something that we loved. <laughs> that, I was gonna say that's what makes good music, though. We were having fun with the music because you guys were enjoying every bit of it. I think that was awesome. You know, we were all younger, and like the whole business side of music is still something that. I, I feel like I'm pretending to know, you know, yeah. because there's so many ins and outs of it. And even growing up around it, you know, there's something to learn every day. And back then we were all young and having fun. We didn't know how to get ourselves out there, but we were making good music. You yeah. Know? Well, H- I mean, had the, had the times been different or had it been today, the, the result probably would have been a bit different too, you know? No, exactly. I think, no, I completely agree with you, but like it's, it goes back to that whole entire, um, you know, we talk about like just having fun and stuff. Like when you have, when there's like you teach your, I taught myself how to play guitar. You know, I took, I think mm-hmm. I took, I took uh, like two weeks worth of lessons, which is just showing up to class twice. Right. With a private, right. you know, instructor. And they just pretty much told me how to read tabs. That was it. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, um, I could do that at home. So, <laughs> so, so what I did. So I just started off doing that and learning it myself. Right. And then wanting to participate in music playing with bands and then having just enough enough knowledge about music equipment especially guitars and like pa systems from playing in music so long Mm -hmm. it gave me the opportunity to you know be the av guy which is the audio visual dude at my church right so i was like okay well they have money that they invested in certain pieces of gear, which I was able to learn, which I was able to use, which I was able to expand my knowledge of audiovisual, you know, um, 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 tools, soundboards, mm-hmm. compressors, you know, wireless right. mic systems, in-ear monitors, all these kind of stuff like that, right? So being around exposing exposing myself to those because I love music and I love that kind of stuff. It, you almost feel like, you know, for me, it's like, how do I turn that around and sell my knowledge now that I've been investing myself in out of a passion for my lo- I love for this. I love for this stuff. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I love guitar. I almost feel like I'd be robbing somebody if I told them if I asked them to pay me to teach them because I love guitar that much, you know. And it's a weird thing to think to actually, you know, flip it and say, wait a second, this can I can use my skill to, you know, employ myself to do something that I love you know, provide mm-hmm. for my family, whatever it may be. Um, and yeah, like you said, yeah, you didn't know that growing up. We didn't consider that growing up. And here we are now. I'm in my 30s. You know, you're approaching your 30s. It's clicking. Oh, wait a second. Wait, I have all this knowledge from all this experience that I've done. 
in music, in live sound, in studio, you know, you even went a mm-hmm. step further to master your studio, um, you know, um, knowledge. Um, and here it is now, you know, it's a, it's, it's your, I think you guys are in a good position. I think you have a lot of great experience. I would trust you working on my project. So those of you guys who are looking to get recorded in the 209 area, you need to put something together. Check out Dreamcatcher Studios. We've got the sound engineer in the studio today, my boy Pat. <laughs> oh, man. And that's, hey, you know what? You'd be making my day because that's the stuff I love to do, honestly. Make people sound good. And speaking- Even if you sound good, we can make you sound better. There you, you can go. always do that. Exactly. And that's what you need. You need somebody who has the skills, who loves to do that thing. Right. I, I want to I'm I'm the performer kind of guy. I want to be the talent. You know what I'm saying? That's mm-hmm. just the attitude that I have. That's why I want to be on the microphone. And but, you know, the thing that you love, the passion that you said, making things sound better, you know, playing drums, all your you know, your experiences overall um, feed into you providing a service. Now, I want to sound better. So I would go looking at your studio, you know. If mm-hmm. I had a band, obviously I want to take it to you to record, you know. <laughs> I think that would be a super fun experience. Oh man. Um so sp- speaking about recording and stuff, what uh as a sound engineer, um who or as Pat Gomes too and as sound engineer, uh who do you love to work with? What is your vision or type of project that excites you when you go into the studio? Oh, into the studio, it's it's always recording guitar for some reason uh, you know even being a drummer i know i'm going to get a a drum sound that i want you know so that's as much as i work on getting that sound and i you know i know it's going to be okay but for guitar i really enjoy the experimenting process because it seems like there is an endless i mean just a maze of ways that you could start miking the guitar not miking the guitar maybe you do a di or maybe you use two mics three mics use a different room, you know, put the amp in a bigger room while you're in a separate one, you know, all these little things change the sound. I mean, I don't want to say this change is negligible. I notice it. The guitar player usually notices it. With the audience, maybe not. It's, you know, it's kind of subjective. Um, but that's the kind of stuff that I, I really like doing that. That's, that's the fun experience for me. That's what's up, man. I, I, and that's the thing, too, that I, I notice, like, with, like, you know, studio stuff, like, experimenting with, like, you know, guitar players are those dudes who are like, yeah, man, experiment. Let's do this. You know, that's usually mm-hmm. how guitar players are. So, you know, I mean, they're definitely that niche in, amongst the band. The drummer's like, I want to keep it tight. The bass player's like, I want to keep it tight. You know, it's probably mm-hmm. a tie between the vocalist and the guitar player and how, yeah, let's experiment with capturing my sound. <laughs> And, you know, the last band that I recorded, which has been a while now because of COVID, lately I've just been doing mixes that have been sent in to me from other studios, right. which I also really enjoy because that kind of gives me a little bit of my privacy and working. I get to just sit down, have a cup of coffee, relax, in my opinion. It feels relaxing. Yeah. And start changing things slightly until I feel like I've built the song up to what the artist is expecting, you know. Yeah. But... Uh, the last band that I got to record was actually my own band at the time. I was uh, the drummer. We were named Cold Fur. Haven't even put the album out yet. Sitting in a hard drive, locked away. Oh, man. But, but me and the guitar player, Alex, um, Alex Hardy, you probably remember him. From yeah, yeah no, I, I need to get town. him on. I need to get him on the podcast. Shout oh, out, I Alex think, Hardy. <laughs> I think he'd love it. 
um, musically, him and I just get each other. It's yeah. funny because our disagreements are nonstop, but when it comes down to like what we think the vision should be, it's it's there, you know. Um, the process is always a little bit different. So what we did on this last recording was he and I would set up in, uh, even though I had the studio, we did it in my home. We put the drums in one room, the guitar player, or the, his guitar amp out in the hallway, and we mic'd them up separately and changed the mic positions until we felt like we got such a good blend of drums and the guitar mic and guitar and the drum mics that we were ready to just play through the songs live, essentially. Wow. I put a click track through my headphones, um, and he had his headphones listening to everything that was going on, and we just played the rhythm tracks of the songs that way. And uh, something about that energy and connectedness just yeah. makes for a really cool recording experience and a cool ultimate product. Those it are does, still yeah. some of my favorite songs. Well, I think because recording drums in post, right, after you record everything separately, right, doing mm -hmm. every individual um, musician by himself or herself, whoever it may be, sorry. Uh, so those those kinds of individually um, recording musicians, like there's an energy that's not felt, you know, and mm -hmm. doing two at the same time, pairing people together you capture that energy that you want on the record where you're like, wow, this is more like the live. This is what I'm talking about. Cause I've had problems where I recorded by myself, super lackluster. I'm like, Oh, that just sounds like I farted or something. You know, like I, there's no energy. You know what I'm saying? Like Too just, sterile. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Everything, so. It feels like you just walked into a completely white room with white tile floor and that's all that's there. Exactly. Yeah. I know that feeling a lot. And that's why I feel like we tried to, you know, change that again he's the he was the one i was speaking about earlier who's really proficient in garage band so his his recording knowledge combined with my recording knowledge gave us like the room to experiment in a way that we already knew was going to be yeah a good result you know plus recording multi-instruments at the same time has been something that's been done since the beginning of recording technology you know yeah most most things that we hear from the 70s and before weren't isolated. Maybe they were overdubbed later, but usually it was the group is in a big room, everything's kind of separated, but they can hear each other and they just go for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I like, um, I don't know if you've ever done that, but in the, um, I don't know if you've seen these kind of YouTube channels where they'll do like live performance in the studio, right? They'll just mm -hmm. set up cameras in the studio and then they'll record the whole band. Um, is that something that you guys are going to try to do once this COVID situation maybe gets solved? Are you guys looking to like branch out into something like that as, as a yes, studio? Yes, I, I would love to have those types of YouTube videos. And the goal is very reachable, you know? Yeah. Uh, right now, number one priority is safety. But uh, we have one out right now that is just an acoustic song, but by Harbor and Heel, uh, titled My Friends and Me. A great song, great artist. It was recorded right here in the studio, and this was our uh, very first time recording video, especially in such a low light situation. So it's starting the learning. Yeah, that was the the very first one, and I think since then we've already got our um, our knowledge of you know shutter speed and yeah. frame rate and things like that that I still barely know about. I hope all you photographers and videographers out there aren't laughing at me. No, but no. That, that was something we just hadn't done before. Our experience is 100% in music, performance, sound, 
yeah. instruments. You know, that that's what we know. So I'm excited to do more of that, and I think that's going to be um, something that we'll see in the near future, as long as there are bands and artists that are interested in having those sorts of videos. Yeah, man, that's, I mean, obviously, like, I, I remember, I think I shot this idea back and forth with you is about even featuring, like, I don't know, eventually featuring a show called, like, the MySpace Man- Band Day or something. Oh, yeah. I would feature a guest or guests who had a MySpace band because this was a thing for us, for our generation. Um, why don't you talk, why don't you highlight your MySpace bands, dude? Speaking of MySpace oh, bands. Oh, man. Okay, so I would love to hear from anyone in the 209, like, about sundown and counting you know that was back then being into kind of like metal for me sundown and counting being more of like an indie screamo band yeah was just out of the box for me you know it was just like i've never been into this type of music but this is really good yeah and they get they were practicing right down the street from our house where we were practicing at as young kids learning metal you know metal. and I, I remember uh one day we're we're all you know 15 to 13 years old we're just children hanging out outside probably drinking sodas or doing something good and we just <laughs> we just heard this uh this music coming from down the street that was I mean it was loud we could we were three houses away so we walked over there and talked to the guys and it was sundown and counting oh my gosh and that, that was kind of our first experience talking with bands that were already out playing music in the area you know yeah uh Another one was Nightmerica. Again, I was in the metal, and they were Shout the out. metal celebrities. You know, they, they were. were <laughs> they really were. So their music was, you know, super influential. Just and the way that they were going about it, getting shows and playing around all types of crowds, you know, and just getting it out there. Yeah, it was. You know, it was really cool. Um, I'm sure if Alex was here and we were talking about Nightmerica, he'd probably cringe a little bit. But I think we all cringe about our old bands. Yeah. You know? For sure. And then one that I guess wasn't as local, but it was still MySpace era, um, was The Subtle Way. Yeah. You probably remember them. They oh, were, of course I do. They were amazing. You know, back then, the guitar players were extremely innovative for that type of music. Hearing yeah. technical guitar and screamo was just kind of not commonplace. It I was, would hear the honestly, sleeping. You yes. Know, and it was just like there was no way that anyone else, you know, uh, what was the other uh, from first to last wasn't doing that, you know? No, I honestly, when you talk about the subtle way, though, that goes, it brings back a lot of memories because that was like when my, that was my, my, the first time I'd ever taken my fr- uh, junior and Daniel to a local show, right? They'd never been oh. to a local show and I was like, yo, this is the show you need to go to, bro, because these guys are putting down. Mm-hmm. some stuff and like remember they had their own little light show and everything like oh, this yeah. is how this is how like this is a small this is a there was a hot dog place in in los banos called hot dog heaven shout out oh, oh geez memories <laughs> so many crazy things went down at these gigs and i'm talking like these are like everybody from like death metal bands to like little emo bands and like classical, you know, violin players would show up and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm saying everybody was, would, this was a venue that hosted local talent, you know, and, and, you know, in the 209 area. And when they showed up, they're from, from the Bay area When they showed up, they had their own little light show going on with them. And man, I'm talking about like one of the best local small shows, maybe 40 people in the crowd, 
the sound was so heavy, your chest would be thumping, the lights were flashing, screaming, sweat, you know, guitar sweeps. The drummer, yep. I, th- I can't think of his name, was, I want to say is, uh, I can't remember his name, I think his name is Mike or something like that, the drummer was, I think it is Mike, was a killer on either. the kit, was just a good was a tactician like was super Mm -hmm. into like his thing like he wasn't just they they were skilled musicians and it was such a good show i hate to like just like i don't want to just be like hey you just you know shouting them out whatever but honestly it changed the game for some of us like some of us seen that and we're like that's we can do that you know like let's i want to do that you know and you know going back to what you had said about hot dog heaven again shout out hot dog heaven that was the og place where i mean many bands in town at least got their their start at playing music live. I know for me, you know, I was 13 years old and the other members of the group were 15. They were all freshmen in high school. I'm, a, I'm in seventh grade at this point. That's so like we brother, started yeah. a, and we started a band, you know, and I was not into metal music at all. Again, I was into classic rock and like system of a down type of music, like semi heavy rock, you know? And they came in and they're like, well, we're going to play this extremely double bass heavy music with lots of screaming. Are you in? I was just like, okay, might as well give it a try because yeah. I like I like playing drums. So that was my first show. In fact, I believe that was Hot Dog Heaven's first show when uh, Spectre was the name of our band. Oh, my took, gosh. Took the stage and opened up that night. And, you know, everyone's in high school or so, maybe above high school age when we show up. And, again, we're – children we are children kids. i i have the cassette videotape that my parents took of us from that night where i look like an innocent little child and so does everybody else <laughs> in fact they sweep through the crowd in that video they like turn around they were front row they turn around and show the crowd and it is packed wall to wall and this building you probably remember i mean i can't remember square footage but i bet you it was probably only 20 feet across and like 30 feet back yeah, you know? it was a small room. And, and it was wall to wall. People would try to walk in the door and it's like, well, where do I go? And would end up just standing at the door because you can't go in any further. Yeah. That was an exciting experience. And then every other show that came after that at Hot Dog Heaven just kept getting better and better. You know, whether it was heavy music, whether it was a little bit lighter screamo music, there was always a crowd there and it was always a cool experience. Like, yeah. I don't know. There wasn't much else after hot dog heaven i think we had a lot of um you probably remember the smoothie king shows as well yeah i remember those uh, ones those ones are fun and, too and, and for those who you know don't know it was basically a little strip mall that had a business smoothie king on one end and on the far other end was some tax company and everything in between was just an open building you know rafters but no flooring no insulation in the roof it was just open toilets and didn't work Oh, it didn't work exactly. And somehow they allowed this rowdy group of kids, which was, I, I mean, bigger than a group. We could call it this rowdy crowd of kids. Sometimes it would be 200 people there. Yeah, because the, the actual, like, you know, room that we had was huge. And yeah. The amount of people that we could fit. And it wasn't just local bands at that point. We started to, it was Chris Constancio who was setting up most of those shows. Yeah. I forgot the name of his production company at the time, but, you know, it was again. Like Dumbledore would, Productions or something like I, that. I think you're right. And again, he was in high school at that time. Yeah. And he's bringing in these bands from the Bay Area, Sacramento. Hustling. He had got he had got one from Michigan, I think. Within the ruins, I think they were from like Michigan or Milwaukee, one of the M's. Yeah. And you know, at the time, they were one of my favorite bands. And I'm thinking, how 
in the world are they going to show up in little, you know, 35,000 population Los Banas? Yeah. MySpace. In MySpace. Exactly. It's crazy. That was the beginning of social media, dude. That was it, man. MySpace was the bridge. You would see, you would be introduced to somebody on MySpace, a top eight. Your friend was like, I'm going to put my favorite band in my top eight. Exactly. (laughs) I'm going to put that song on my playlist. Matter of fact, I bet you. I bet you the subtle way is in my top eight right now. If you Googled my MySpace, <laughs> oh man, I think I deleted my MySpace, and now it's something I'm regretting. I wish I could have oh, gone man. back and see who I was back well, then. You know, it's such a shame, though. Shame on MySpace. Uh, they actually they had a data corruption issue when they migrated some of their stuff. So they were migrating wow. all the old accounts, and when they did that, they lost hundreds of gigabytes worth of music from local small oh. artists. I'm talking hundreds of gigabytes, dude. Corrupted. And that's where you can that's some of the only places you can find these. That was some songs of the, now. Yep, just on just on these servers in the middle of nowhere, the remnant of MySpace local garage band. <laughs> oh, you know so it's sad. funny, man. All of my old bands are locked away on a Zune. If anyone remembers those. Yes. It was a knockoff iPod. Hey, the Zune was the... was innovative. They could play video dog. Dude, I loved the Zune, honestly, but I got so much crap about it because, you know, it wasn't an iPad or iPod. But see, that goes back to the negligence of the people out there in society who thought that their iPod with no screen that couldn't play no video, you know, Mm. was like the thing. But here in your pocket, you had a Zune that could play games, had video, had photos, you know what I'm saying, was ahead of its time. That thing was sick, dude. I had one too. But you know what? (laughs) Apple caught up pretty quick. Yeah, they did. They did. They did catch up. Once they put out that iPod video or whatever it was called with the screen, it was like a nice screen too. Yeah, yeah and the wheel wasn't actually a wheel. It was actually it was actually touch finally, because mm-hmm. originally the first iPods were just these bricks. I remember my friend Ferguson. My friend Ferguson had one, and I was just like, "What is that? Why is there a battery yeah. on your arm?" Um, man, those things. I remember were so those. Cool. Oh, and like the the way that it was set up in the front just looked like 1980s technology yeah. compared to now. You know, Star Wars technology, man. <laughs> exactly. That is definitely something I could see sitting like somewhere on the dash of the Millennium Falcon. Really. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we're hitting we're hitting about an hour and five minutes on this interview. Um, I think we talked about a lot of stuff today, man. I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, I do want to ask you one more question here before we, uh, before we get to the shout outs. Um, what, what keeps Pat Gomes the creative inspired today? That's so funny because it's, it's never looking forward as, as odd as that sounds in the sense that my inspiration comes from like old music. It, It really does, you know, and I, I had mentioned it seventies rock anything that's you know considered classic rock now i enjoy it so much and i always find something new that they were doing back then that i feel i can refine and do now in wow. my own way yeah you know so i guess it is looking forward in a sense but the ideas are coming from the pioneers really. right wow and that's good stuff. whether you know whether it comes to writing or playing or recording live sound any of it it all you know for me a lot of it comes from what's been done and what I can improve on it. Yeah. I mean, I totally get it. Totally get it. hundred percent, man. So, uh, folks, I think we had a good episode today. I think we covered a lot of stuff, man. If you like music, if you like sound production, this is your episode. (laughs) 
<laughs> we got some yeah, deep you cuts know here. What? And if you if you want me to talk more about it, anybody, give me a call because I guarantee you I can go for hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, but for sure we'll have to have another episode. We'll have to get you on again, and maybe we can get another production uh, person in the on the call too because uh, this is really good stuff, and I really enjoy talking about music production myself. You mentioned you said you know looking to the past, hearing, being inspired, and trying to refine it for you know, and I do that constantly. I, I hear a record. And it does something where I'm like, wow, that um, just the tone that was captured, you know, mm-hmm. on, on that one record. Um, um, Aerosmith, I only say that because uh, it's just literally is my goal whenever I open up, a, uh, whenever I open up a song is to be, you know, that that song. It's so captivating. And, yeah, I was going to say Aerosmith has got this great energy about them. Like they their music was really, really good. Um you know, not to like put down newer music or anything, because I am open to new music, you know, all the time. Right. I'm right. always looking on like new music um, on Spotify, trying to get something that I might like. But it just takes a lot more now with what's coming out to move me either emotionally or even mentally just to yeah. try to like pique my interest and get me thinking. It's just so much easier for the older music to do that for some reason. I'm, you know, I think it has to do with the practices that they used in recording and writing the songs. And, you know, it's a little bit more sterile now, but I think that as everyone's evolving, they're slowly getting around that, you know, bit of just kind of brittleness that you hear in the newer yeah. music. No, I completely agree, man. Hey, so uh, where can we find any of your projects? And um, shout out Dreamcatcher Studio for us before we sign off today. Oh man, I wish I could. I wish I could say where the the projects are, but most of the time they get sent to the artist, and I never know what happens with them <laughs> after that. But the ones that I know for sure are still there on Spotify. I think you'll enjoy our um, "Damn Good Dogs" EP. They go go listen to that one just from beginning to end. Feel it because it definitely has a lot of emotion. Yeah, and that was probably one of you know my most proud recording experiences. Not to say that. I did an amazing job that was still early on in my career, but I am really happy with the emotion that got conveyed on that one. Yeah, no, exactly. Every little bit captured that sound of what the artist was trying to put together. And that's something that I respect and I see in the project. So exactly. Check that out uh, on Spotify, guys. Damn Good Dog and uh, Fur Drive. They're still up there. So check them out while you can. Um, Yeah. And uh, Dreamcatcher Studios. Can you shout them out real quick? Give us a little breakdown. Shout out to Dreamcatcher Studios. Shout out to Vanessa. Um, she just continuously kills it. She is the master of this craft, and I am excited to see where it's going to go. But in the meantime, more live performances, more lessons, more whatever it is that the people want. Awesome, man. Awesome. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening. Once again, uh, my guest today, Pat Gomes, of uh, the sound engineer and uh, at dreamcatcher studios in lb um so once again big shout out to them thank you for joining the call today pat really appreciate you being here um once again guys don't uh don't forget leave us a review um and like subscribe all those good things check us out on youtube we have bonus content on youtube if you you know if you're ever wondering um check out our instagram and facebook all those things all those things help us uh, we're trying to get the word out there once again i like to partner with small businesses nonprofits, startups freelancers Anybody who has something extraordinary that they're providing for the world, I want to partner with, um, just like Dreamcatcher Studios. Um, Once again, guys, peace and love.